0: On July 4th of 1971, a baby western lowland gorilla was born at the San Francisco Zoo. She was named Hanabiko, which means fireworks child in Japanese, but she became known by her nickname, Coco. Little baby Coco was pretty sick for the first year of her life, so she spent a lot of time at the zoo's medical center. But soon, Coco's life would radically change once she met Francine Penny Patterson, Together, they captured the public imagination, as explored in this PBS documentary. Here's Penny.
1: That first day that we actually got to see her, she was kind of feisty. She ran around and gave me a nip on the ankle. In
0: 1972, Penny was a 20-something PhD psychology student at nearby Stanford University. She was interested in primate communication. What do you want to be when you grow up? talk to monkeys, said no one ever, except Penny. Chimpanzees, bonobos, and gorillas. They're our closest living relatives, and Penny wanted to know if she could teach a gorilla to communicate with humans. Gorillas don't use their voices the same way as us humans do, so Penny, like some researchers before her, decided to try to teach Coco sign language. In 1972, Penny started Project Coco a research project to teach Coco how to communicate using sign language. Penny visited Coco at the zoo every day and started teaching Coco basic signs. Penny would form Coco's hands into the shape of a sign over and over until she got the hang of it. Or she would demonstrate the sign again and again, often saying the word aloud to encourage Coco to copy. Here's Penny from the PBS documentary.
1: I decided that it would be good to focus on three signs, eat, drink, and more.
0: I mean, if you're going to learn any three words, they would be it. Coco was doing so well that Patterson convinced the zoo to let her take Coco to Stanford's campus to deepen her research. According to the PBS documentary, while on campus, Coco's learning of signs doubled. She learned 200 words that year. Penny and Coco quickly developed a bond.
2: I don't think there's anybody who would suggest that their relationship was anything other than mother and child.
0: This is Lauren Ober. She's a journalist and host of the podcast, Find Gorilla Person, by Topic Studios. She spent years researching Coco and her relationship with Penny Patterson, and interviewed people who previously worked with the duo.
2: Gorillas are apes, apes are mammals, and they have familial relationships that are similar to ours. Coco was hand-raised by humans and imprinted on Penny.
0: Early film footage shows a young Coco scrambling onto Penny's shoulders and snuggling her in a kitchen. In another scene, Penny is driving a car with Coco, sitting beside her in a passenger seat like this was just a totally normal day out and about. In photos, Coco is almost always seen wrapping her big, long arms around a slight penny. It was like the two were inseparable, and all of Penny's work was paying off. The foundation she founded would eventually claim that Coco had learned 1,000 hand signs and understood 2,000 English words. Quickly, Coco's accomplishments catapulted her to fame. She was featured on talk TV and met celebrities. I mean, it was like she was a celebrity herself.
3: There is only one animal who can tell you if she is happy
1: and wants to mate. That is Coco. To look into the eyes of a 300-pound gorilla. I was reminded that she was an imposing, powerful animal.
0: For decades, people talked about how amazing it was that this animal had the ability to communicate and emote, just like humans. In fact, when Penny founded the Gorilla Foundation with her then-partner Ron Cohn, Project Coco was the main focus. But Coco was on loan from the San Francisco Zoo, and they wanted her back. So Penny launched a public campaign to raise money to buy Coco from the zoo. In 1977, she successfully raised the funds and gained legal custody of Coco. But even as her fame grew, there was growing concern amongst animal behavioral theorists, or whatever they are, about Penny's methods and transparency. That things might not have been all that they seemed. I mean, for all we know, Coco could have just been waving at us in funny ways. All of it led to a question that remains today. How much did Coco actually know? Trouble with
1: us as humans is we are very anthropomorphic and we bend over backwards to give meaning to what the animal is is doing. We want to believe that they're shining. I'm Alzo Slade,
0: and from something else, this is Cheap, a series that asks the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, what did the world's most famous talking gorilla actually have to say? In the early 1970s, a behavioral psychologist at Columbia University in New York caught wind of Patterson's work. Herbert Terrace was researching animal cognition and ape language and got curious about Coco. So he flew
1: out to California to see her in action. I saw some signs, and what I saw was convincing enough for me to go back and do my own project.
0: The famous linguist Noam Chomsky theorized that only humans are capable of using language and grammar. Herb, he wanted to prove Chomsky wrong. So he embarked on a very ambitious experiment. Herb wanted to see if a chimp could learn to communicate if he were raised like a human child. In 1973, Herb arranged to have a two-week-old chimp from Oklahoma come live with a human family in the west side of Manhattan, not far from Columbia's campus. But the question I got is, what family in New York agreed to live with a monkey in what I imagined to be an apartment the size of a bathroom? But I digress. So Herb named the young chimp Nim Chomsky. Ah, okay, Herb, I see what you did there. A little dig at Noam Chomsky.
1: Oh, he was very much like a human
0: baby. wore clothes, at diapers, a monkey in clothes and diapers. This is a real experiment, and it became known as Project Nim. Herb oversaw the study and had students train them.
1: They worked with them around the clock, from morning till night. We had many teachers; some worked four or five days a week, long shifts. Some were very close to Nim.
0: Herb gave his students audio recorders to track Nim's
1: progress, and they whispered what he signed as he signed them, and to show regularities in the sequence he signed to prove that he had grammar. And then we had criteria that two or more people had to see these signs in different settings. Each week, the students would try to
0: teach Nim about 10 new words. And it seemed to work. Nim showed potential.
1: We had 20,000 or more two-sign combinations, three-sign combinations, four-sign combinations. Like he would say, more eat rather than eat more. Uh, he would say, nim play rather than play nim. And it looked just like the first utterances of a child.
0: The study was going well. Until one day, Herb popped in a videotape of a student training them and realized something
1: shocking. I once took a step back. And I saw what the teacher was doing in addition to what the chimpanzee was doing. And that changed everything. That's after the break.
2: Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine. And this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies.
0: Coco the gorilla made her steady rise to stardom with Penny Patterson by her side. In 1978, a documentary was made called Coco, a talking gorilla. In one scene, Coco is seen sitting on the floor of an outdoor pen. A chain is around her neck and a leash dangles to the ground. Penny and Ron Cohn practice signs with her.
3: Coco's current vocabulary is approximately 300 words. These are the words she produces but she understands probably at least another two to three hundred words. Coco, is it time? Yes.
0: Tongue?
3: Where's your tongue?
0: That's right. That same year, Coco appeared on the cover of the National Geographic magazine. It's a photo of her taking a picture of herself in the mirror. Now, wait a minute. We got a talking gorilla that takes selfies before selfies was a thing? This Coco might be special. The magazine's story on Coco began to change how the public viewed primates. It struck down guerrilla stereotypes. Coco wasn't a woman-snatching, skyscraper-scaling brute. No. She was introspective, curious. Even into photography, she had hobbies. But back in New York, Herb Terrace wasn't having the same success with his chimp.
1: It was an exact unforgettable moment.
0: Herb was getting ready to train a new teacher in the Westside Manhattan apartment where his chimp, Nim, was living. He inserted a VHS tape of a former training to show the student. As they watched the video,
1: something stood out to Herb. Every time I saw Nim sign, just before that, I saw the teacher sign. Students were always recording
0: what they observed with Nim on voice recorders. Sometimes Herb recorded using a camera so he couldn't always see what Nim or other teachers were doing.
1: So we had complete records of what Nim did. What we didn't have were complete records of what the teacher did. They discovered that all of the signs that my chimp were in, they were more or less prompted by teachers unwittingly. Ah,
0: so this meant everything was fed to Nim. Nothing was spontaneous. So. Nim wasn't actually talking. He was mostly just mimicking. Herb and his students were not aware of how much their prompting influenced Nim. They couldn't tell what was new and what was rehearsed. Until they rolled back the tape. (laughs) After four and a half years of work, Herb was disappointed. Of course, who wouldn't be? I mean, bruh, you probably should have broke out the VHS cameras from the beginning. But Herb took it in stride.
1: I felt that this, this is science and you got to call it as it is. I would have been much more famous if I said he did me.
0: Herb Terrace is still pretty well known, but not for the reason he liked to be.
1: I got a lot of other people angry.
0: <laughs> yeah, Herb made some enemies. He kind of put the kibosh on all the work he and other researchers in his field were doing at the time. Basically, he was telling all the folks in his community doing this research, uh, yeah, bro, your gorilla cannot talk.
1: In fact, I had at the time submitted a paper to science, which they accepted, showing that Nim had the beginnings of grammar. And then I retracted it and sent another paper. The paper
0: Herb ended up getting published was titled, Can an ape create a sentence? Operative word here, create. And his conclusion?
1: No, they can't. It may work in this field look silly, but you don't start out to prove that. You discover that by accident, but then again you have to let the public know what the truth is.
0: And Herb didn't only see this behavior with Nim. He went out and saw that 1978 Coco
1: documentary. I paid money to go and see this film. And it was queer as day. I saw the same with Penny Patterson and Coco.
0: This man was about to destroy a lot of people's dreams because all Herb could see was Penny prompting or interpreting Coco's responses, just like his students did with NIM. To him, it wasn't communication. It was mimicry. Mimicry is how we gain language. A human child learns language by mimicking, but eventually, imitation leads to new vocabulary, grammar, syntax, what we humans consider to be language. Heard believes apes only sign to get something, not to talk to us for fun or anything.
1: The basic fact is that if you didn't require a chimpanzee to sign, they would not. So in a new situation, you have an apple, they try to grab the apple, you say, no, better sign and eventually mm-hmm. they'll sign because they have no choice.
0: Herb read through all of Penny's papers on Coco and compared notes. But all of her papers were descriptions of Coco's signs. He says it's all anecdotal.
1: I had the impression that Penny thought that Coco was signing. And she, she showed no awareness of her input. This was basically the Clever Hans effect in
0: action. That's a term in psychology when an unintentional cue leads to a desired outcome. I mean, who doesn't want to believe that they just taught an ape to use sign language, especially when you're getting published on the cover of magazines? Herb's paper led to more scientific scrutiny in the ape language field. Some public appearances of Coco began to raise questions about her competence and how much Penny was pulling meaning out of Coco's gestures. In 1998, someone had the brilliant idea of hosting the first ever interspecies online live chat with Coco. What in the world is that? And the chat, it happened over AOL. Remember that? As if understanding a gorilla wasn't hard enough already, now you got to do it over a dial-up connection? A producer was on the phone with Penny, who was with Coco. People around the world submitted questions for Coco to the producer. Penny would sign the question to Coco, and then Penny would translate her response. The producer then typed Coco's answers for the world to see. Now, as exciting as all this sounds, the chat wasn't really a chat. Here's one exchange. One person asked, do you like to chat with other people? And Coco's response? fine nipple what what did you say coco fine nipple so penny explained nipple rhymes with people actually it really doesn't but i digress again penny said nipple rhymes with people and she doesn't sign people per se she was trying to do a sounds like that's a bit of a stretch if you ask me It's one thing to have a gorilla who can sign a word or two but to use those signs to do complex things like finding words that sound the same or to rhyme that seems pretty advanced in a video from 1999 coco meets none other than fred rogers yes mr rogers mr rogers is crouched down to coco's level and penny is hovering close by
3: how do you say love for sign language?
2: I said love. What?
1: That flower. She's asking you about your cufflink. Is that a flower? That's a sun. My grandfather gave me that.
3: It looks like a flower, though. It does look
0: like Coming a flower. Up. Wow, Penny. That cufflink turned into a flower pretty fast. Maybe Coco just saw something shiny and wanted to touch it. And that's kind of at the heart of this struggle. Interpretation plays a huge part in this kind of research. If you're spending day after day racking up hundreds of hours training Coco, you're bound to find meaning in her gestures. A combination of signs could eventually reveal complex ideas. But that's typically after the hundreds of nonsensical signs that came before it. Podcast host and journalist Lauren Ober suggests Coco and Penny share their own language. At the Gorilla Foundation, other staff members had to learn some of Coco's original signs.
2: But only Penny was the one who was doing the interpretation and then giving that interpretation meaning. And so she's saying, oh, Coco wants a baby. When Coco would maybe point at a screen, they'd be playing a video and she'd see like a baby gorilla and like point to that and be like, Baby love. I don't know if a gorilla can love, and I'm sure the gorilla knows that's a baby or it's a small thing or somehow it's been taught that the word for that is baby. But, like, that's a huge leap to say Coco loves babies and she wants a baby, you know?
0: So does that mean Coco
3: really couldn't actually talk?
2: If by talk you mean
3: use what most linguists or psychologists would understand to be language... Um, no. This is Marcus Perlman. He's a lecturer in English and
0: linguistics at the University of Birmingham, England. In 2011, Marcus worked at the Gorilla Foundation and did research with Coco for over a year.
3: But I don't think you would have, like, a conversational exchange where you turn taking that goes back and forth and new information is added with each turn that kind of goes on indefinitely, like uh, like a spoken conversation or something. If by talk you mean could she effectively communicate about what she wanted within the context of her life and the context of interaction with her caregivers, with Penny and Ron, then I think, yeah, she could talk and communicate and get her ideas across. When Marcus worked with the Guerrilla
0: Foundation, he was looking for Coco to make something called an iconic gesture.
3: That it's created spontaneously. It's essentially kind of invented in the moments to depict what your meaning is in that moment. So it's a creative act. For example,
0: if Coco wanted someone to open her door to roam in her outdoor enclosure. She would spontaneously
3: maybe walk over to the doorway and make her sign for open and make it across the doorway. That would signal to someone that she wants you to open up the chute. When Marcus was at the
0: foundation, Coco was in her late 30s, which is old for a gorilla. A lot of her training was behind her. Marcus wasn't sure which of her gestures were learned
3: or invented. But without knowing the history of that gesture, I didn't really know whether she was creating that spontaneously in the moment, or whether it was just something that she had been taught or had learned, you know, years before.
0: So as you can see, it's murky. Marcus isn't really on either side of the language debate concerning Coco, but one thing he'll stand by: Coco did not master American Sign Language as the press has liked to say. Coco borrowed some gestures from
3: ASL, but others? Some of them were kind of Coco's original creations or were just sort of gestures that are naturally used by gorillas or the gestures that kind of came about through these gorilla-human interactions. The degree to which she combined these signs into grammatical utterances, I think, can be debated. But it certainly did not reach anything remotely like the grammatical complexity of American Sign Language or any other sign language.
0: Of course, people are going to choose what they want to believe. In 2014, upon finding out about Robin Williams' death, the Gorilla Foundation announced that Coco was quiet and looked very thoughtful. The Foundation called the relationship a triumph over interspecies boundaries. According to Penny, Coco pointed to her lip, which, in Coco speak, means cry.
1: Coco has been really somber and low-key. She's... Needing a lot of support.
0: Now, Coco met Robin Williams once in 2001. And that was 13 years before his death. Did Coco really remember Williams from that one day? And did he really leave that much of an impression on her? Marcus Perlman
3: doubts it. I don't understand how she would have a a concept of death in that abstract context. And so it's a little hard for me to believe that she was mourning his death or feeling sad about it.
0: Whether you believe Coco talked or not, that's up to you. And plenty of people did choose to believe that. In fact, Lauren says that's part of being human, to find answers to these existential questions we ask ourselves.
2: It is a very lonely place to be a human on this planet, and you can only speak with each other. Like... What is it to be human? Is it to have language? And if something else can have language, can acquire language, does that mean that they are also human? Does that mean they are also a person? Like, it changes the sort of nature of our relationship to ourselves and who we know humans to be.
0: Trying to talk to animals raises a lot of existential questions. Questions Coco certainly couldn't answer. People want to connect with something larger than themselves. And for some people... That connection was Coco. But how did Coco actually feel about it? We find out, or at least take some educated guesses, after the break. Around the 2010s, staff started quitting the Gorilla Foundation. Lauren Ober spoke to former employees who said they were concerned about Coco. Coco, who was in her late 30s, wasn't aging gracefully.
2: She's bored, she's fat, she's lonely, and this and that.
0: And to Penny's disappointment, Coco never had a baby. Every male gorilla she was introduced to, she didn't jail with. Coco's mental and physical health was on the decline. According to Lauren, former staffer she interviewed said she didn't receive regular veterinary care.
2: Coco was not very regularly seen by a veterinarian, but was allegedly being cared for by a medical intuitive who would sort of diagnose Coco over the phone. And the staff were like, this is not right.
0: A medical intuitive? What is that? Whatever it is, it don't seem right. And Lauren says former employees were instructed to treat Coco's various health problems with supplements.
2: They realized, like, this is not a thing that we can really be a part of where I'm feeding this gorilla 100 pills a day, like all of these supplements to deal with her bowels and supplements to deal with her adrenal system.
0: Lauren says in an email she received from the Gorilla Foundation, the supplements were approved by a veterinarian. Betty White was on the board of directors of the foundation, and some employees even tried to reach out to her about their concerns for Coco.
2: They tried to write to her and be like, you have to do something about this because this animal, this gorilla is languishing.
0: No one knows if she ever saw their letters, but nothing changed, and the staff became disenchanted. Project Coco wasn't what they envisioned.
2: They came in with an idea of what they were going to do, a particular idea, and they left with a very different idea of what the project was.
0: And so they quit. In the first couple of decades of Project Coco, Penny authored and co authored a few papers about her beloved gorilla. But her published work tapered off from there. She never released raw data of her work with Coco. Science of Project Coco fell by the wayside, and it became more about Penny's relationship with Coco.
2: Penny didn't have children herself. Coco did not have children. They had a very codependent relationship, as described by a number of former employees i think that there was probably some point at which penny realized that and realized that this was like like i brought this creature into this world like i created this creature and now i have to stick with this creature
0: penny patterson never had a semblance of a normal adult human life but that was her choice after all she had a say as for coco
2: Of course, Coco was cheated out of a normal gorilla life. Coco was cheated out of a relationship with her gorilla family and cheated out of a sort of normal gorilla existence. And as much as a zoo could be normal, um, but at least, like, that animal would be living amongst its kind.
0: The title of Lauren's podcast is a term Coco apparently used to describe herself. Fine gorilla person.
2: I thought it was poignant because I felt like Coco was sort of trapped in this liminal space between, you know, being a human and being an animal or being an animal and being a human. She was living in a human world and she engaged with human ideas and human topics and human food and human clothing and human everything. Like there was nothing about her life that was sort of naturally, organically gorilla or ape. And so I just thought it was telling that she had this conflation of ideas in who she was.
0: In June of 2018, just weeks before her 47th birthday,
3: News from our live desk, Coco the gorilla has died.
0: Coco the gorilla passed away peacefully in her sleep. Coco left the world as she came in with fanfare from CBS, CBC, ABC, and others. Coco
3: was a scientific marvel and source of wonder for decades. Coco touched the lives of millions.
2: She was really an icon for interspecies communication and empathy.
0: Now, if you were to take any baby gorilla, pick them up and raise them as your own human baby, would you get the same results as Coco? Or was there something inherently special about who Coco was? Or was it some third option of wishful thinking? In her life, there are instances where Coco seemed to have the capacity to express complex emotions or even be introspective. Take "Fine Gorilla Person, a title she allegedly gave to herself. There seems to be a human obsession with modeling intelligence and empathy. Like, how do we grant an animal the title of being smart? We humans love to anthropomorphize. We like to project our humanness onto others. But what did that do to Coco? It robbed her of a life of her own in her natural space.
2: I think we learn more about human attachment and human psychology or at least one particular humans attachment and psychology rather than like is this the key to unlock language no at least these types of studies don't happen anymore and at least like 40 years after it started we are much more attuned to animal care animal safety what is the appropriate way to engage with animals and I hope that understanding grows and continues because you certainly don't want to see a situation like Coco ever again.
0: Did Penny actually believe that Coco could talk? How about you? After hearing this, do you believe that Coco could talk? Penny started her research with a genuine excitement and interest in seeing if a gorilla could communicate with humans. Now, if you take the emotional connection to a loved one and you combine it with a desired outcome that includes that loved one, I think you run the risk of engaging in possible delusions. You know, it's kind of like when you meet someone and you, you really like them, your desire for companionship may lead you to inflate the things that you do like about them while ignoring some of their shortcomings. Here you have this cute gorilla who a scientist says can speak, and the power of this delusion extends to the general public because... We want to believe it. I mean, you want to believe it because maybe it makes us feel a certain way. This is cool. For Penny, it makes her feel accomplished, perhaps. Making a contribution to science, discovery. But at what point do you say to yourself, "Mm, I probably should be a bit more critical and ask some questions that may put at risk the very thing that I want to be true. Lauren Ober is the host of the podcast Find Gorilla Person, an audible original produced by Topic Studios. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like cheap, but better. It's just 2 dollars a month. Or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat.
1: And he just kept getting bigger and bigger and had other people doing it until ultimately he got greedy and he went after it himself.
0: Cheat is presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Casey Georgie. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Megan Dietrich. The original idea for the show was developed by Tom Fuller. Assemblies and scoring by Sabina Singani engineering and sound design by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Special thanks to the Sony legal team, our production coordinators, are Jennifer Mystery and Ecare Egbatola.